Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. O-G. Make some noise! How you doing, everyone? I'm Ross Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. Just how cruel can fans and media be? Well, with the passing of Bill Buckner, we're going to take a look. Plus, in basketball, one of the dumbest questions I've ever heard. Are the Golden State Warriors a better team without Kevin Durant? Really? Folks, that's beyond stupid. So like I said, listen up, because you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right, very sad. The passing uh, the other day of uh, Billy Buckner, uh, a terrific baseball player, terrific hitter. Uh, you know, I didn't know him personally from what I got to understand. A very good man. Uh, passed away from dementia, really un- terrible at, at 69 years old, uh, far too soon. But with his passing, it brought up the discussion of the 1986 World Series. And uh, it just really pisses me off, some of the stuff that I've been hearing. You know, like, not, not, do me a favor, Billy's gone, so don't play the violins now and show empathy and kindness. And, you know, from fans and media alike, where the hell was it all these 32 years? It really pisses me off. And I remember when it happened in 1986, I was a Mets fan. Living up in Toronto. That's where I had started my career. And I remember when it happened. You know, certainly the week after... And I'm saying, is everybody missing something here? Is everybody missing something here? I'm going to give a few examples. But Bill Buckner is the one that really comes to mind, probably more so than any of them. 
as we all know, I'm, I'm not going to go through chapter and verse, as we all know, in 1986, Game 6 of the World Series, uh, bottom of the 10th inning, Mets were losing 5-3. to three. Okay? Calvin Schiraldi is pitching. Okay? It's the top of the 10th. Wally Bachman flies out. Keith Hernandez flies out. Gary Carter hits a single. Kevin Mitchell, pinch hitting, I believe, hits a single. And Ray Knight hits a single. Carter scores. Ah, so now we have a five to four ball game. In comes Bob Stanley to face Mookie Wilson. Right. In comes Bob Stanley to face Mookie Wilson. What does Bob Stanley do? He throws a wild pitch that damn near hits Mookie. Night scores. Game tied at five. And then the infamous play. Ground ball goes through his legs. Uh what did I say? Knight didn't score. Who scored? Mitchell scored. Mitchell scored. And, and then Knight scored on the um, ground ball. Okay. As I'm watching, and here I am, as I was watching on Memorial Day, as some of the broadcasts were talking about it, there was not one damn mention, not one mention of Calvin Schiraldi. Or Bob Stanley. Not one. Not a peep of Calvin Schiraldi or Bob Stanley. Yes, the ball went through his legs. Through Billy Buckner's legs. But the damage was done. Three straight two-out singles by Chiral- that Schiraldi allowed. And I'm not killing a guy. That's what happens. You're a pitcher, you're paid to pitch, the hitters are paid to hit. In comes Stanley, who throws a wild pitch. That, to me, was a killer. I mean, you could feel all the air taken out of the Red Sox on that pitch, and the stadium, Shea, was about to explode like a bomb. And it subsequently did on that era. But through all that, I, I mean, this poor guy, Bill Buckner, was crucified. It was terrible what happened to him. What kind of terrific player he had to endure and, and his family had to. The guy had to move to Idaho. He moved, I think he bought a ranch to Idaho to get away from it. That is sinful. And, and, and when fans can be cruel like that, and the media, something is bad wrong. Why wasn't the media at that time, and, and subsequent years, talking about, well, you, you know what, this, this stuff is really unfair. All of you fans need, need to smarten up with the viciousness, the ugliness. 
I, I've seen this time and time again. I've, I've seen it when, when teams are bad. I've, I've seen it. The ugliness, the, the, the venom that comes out of people. It's disgraceful. So now, now we're all, now let's revisit. You know, he was really a good man. And, you know, 20 years later, uh, they kind of rekindled a little bit of a relationship. And, oh, yeah, then after they won uh, a World Series, you bring it up. Come on. Too little, too late. He's gone now. He should have heard all these nice things that are being said these past couple of days. Billy Bugner should have heard him when he was alive. Not when he's dead. Because he ain't hearing him now. You can believe what you want to believe. He ain't hearing him now. It was terrible. I mean, it was terrible. Then you go, you know what people also forget? That was game six. So there had to be a game seven to be played. You might also recall that the Red Sox had a 3 nothing lead in game seven. Bottom of the seventh. Score tied at three. Chiraldi's now in. Home run, single, wild pitch, single, sack bunt. 6-3. 8 was the final. Calvin Chiraldi. You don't hear nothing about Calvin Chiraldi. All about Billy Buckner. In the reports yesterday that I was watching and reading about, I didn't hear nothing about Chiraldi and Stanley. Now, I'm not looking to bury those guys. I'm just saying how sh- shit can be so unfair. How Billy Buckner was absolutely pummeled. He and his family had to move to Idaho to get away from the venom that was coming out of Beantown in Boston. Okay? How awful is that? How awful, awful, awful is that? Disgusting. And that crap happens and continues to happen. Let's look at another example. So the 93 World Series, Blue Jays and Phillies. It was game four. Jays were leading two games to one. Um, in a wild ball game was game four. Top of the eighth. The wild thing. Mitch Williams comes in. With the Phillies leading 14 to 10. 14 10. That's a good football score. Okay. Single, walk, strikeout, single, triple. 15 14, Jays. Final score. They win. He had death threats after the game. Death threats. Mitch Williams had death threats. Death threats. And to his credit, Mitch Williams stood there and took the beating and blamed himself. So then we move to game six. 
Dodgers leading the series three games to two. It's six five Phillies in the ninth. Phillies saying we need this one to get us to game seven. Williams serves up a three run homer to Joe Carter. Eight six Jays the final game over. World Series over. But a beep, but a bop, but a boop. And Mitch Williams was never the same. And fans and media, what gets in your head is one thing, but fans and the media didn't allow it ever to be the same for Mitch Williams. Death threats. Death threats over an effing baseball game. So when I hear the shit that I hear several times, you know, it's all about the fans, it's all about the fans. Well, you know what? I don't like saying this, but sometimes the fans can act like assholes. You've heard me criticize the media. You've heard me criticize colleagues. But when fans do that, that is... Do you think a guy goes out and tries to screw up? Really? Billy Buckner, yeah, he wanted he wanted to make the error. That's what Buckner did. And Mitch Williams wanted to blow a 14-10 lead and wanted to serve up. You, you think they did it on purpose? Fans can be real, real ugly. N- now let's go to 2003. Give you another example of of moronic fans and media. Cubs leading the Marlins. Okay, game six in Chicago. Game six in Chicago. Cubs are leading the Marlins three games to two. If the Cubs win the game, they're going to the World Series. Cubs are leading 3-0 in the eighth inning. 3-0 in the eighth inning. Marlins, Luis Castillo. And and they had a pretty good pitcher on the mound by the name of Mark Pryor. Marlins, uh, Luis Castillo hits the fly ball down the left field line. Moises Alou goes over to try and catch it. You know, kind of reaching in at, at the stands. But he can't catch it. If he caught it, it would have been out number two. But there was a Chicago Cubs fan, Steve Bartman, also trying to catch the ball. It interfered with, uh, or I shouldn't say they didn't call interference. It disrupted with uh, a lose chance of catching the ball. So the score remained 3 nothing. Castillo walks. Subsequently walks. What proceeded to follow, because this I went and looked it up, mind-boggling. Remember, the score was 3 nothing. What proceeded to follow, let's see, uh, wild pitch, single, error, double, intentional walk, sack fly, intentional walk, double, single. Eight runs, eight runs were scored in the inning. Eight Marlins runs. Marlins force Game 7 and win Game 7. Bartman had to change his, had to move. 
the Cubs fan had to move. I mean, think about that. Cubs fans had to move. Uh, the Cub fan had to move because fellow fans crucified him, killed him. It's it's terrible. I mean, I, I thought of all this, you know, with the Buckner thing, but th- these are examples how crazy and sick fans can be. As wonderful as they can be, and, and to lift the guy up, boy, they can knock you down and step all over you and piss all over you. It's terrible. Think about that. Steve Bartman, a, a fan, interfered with a ball. Okay. Subsequently, after that, a three nothing lead turned into an eight three deficit. But it's all on Steve Bartman. Really? Because people like finding scapegoats. Then you, there's a, another one. Let's dear dear to the hearts of local fans. Who can remember 12-year-old Jeffrey Mayer? Game one of the 1996 ALCS. Derek Jeter hits a ball to right field. Tony Tarasco, in right field for the Baltimore Orioles, lines up underneath it. Ball looks like it's going to go right down in his glove. But thanks to 12-year-old Jeffrey Mayer, who caught the ball, it was ruled a home run. A game-tying home run. Yankees subsequently go on to win the game. And the rest is history. They go on to win that game. They go on to win a World Series. They go on to win uh, four out of five next World Series. You know, with that. Come on. And Jeffrey Mayer was lauded as a hero in New York. I remember I was working at Channel 9 at the time, and they came to me, program director, Russ, we got to get, get this kid, Jeffrey Mayer. He's a hero. He's a hero. And I'm going, slow down. Slow down. If you want to make him out to be a hero, get somebody else to do the story. Because I'm not going to do the story. Well, why? Why? He's a, no, he's not a hero. He caught a ball that really disrupted the outcome of a game. So I'm not going to make him out to be a hero. If you want me to talk to him and his father, whoever the hell, I think he was with friend's kids that time, uh, uh, his friend's father. I think he was taken to the game. I said, I'm not making a kid out to be a hero because I don't think he's a hero. I'm not making a kid out to be a criminal. He innocently caught a ball. But he's no hero. But, oh, he was lauded. They had him on back pages and front pages of of the local papers, the news and the post. Everybody wanted to get him on TV. What do you think would have happened to Jeffrey Mayer had the outcome gone against the Yankees? Of that play. Hmm? What do you think would have happened? What do you th- what do you think would have happened 
what do you think would have happened to Jeffrey Mayer if fan interference was called? How would the how would the fans and the media reacted? Oh, the media, this little stupid snot nosed rich kid or something, right? That's exactly what would have happened. So I, I, it just really got me going, folks, when I saw this on uh, Billy Buckner. It, it's first of all the guy who is a terrific baseball player and a good guy, and. I don't think anybody deserves to be treated like that. But that was disgraceful. And it just brought up all these things. And you think about fans. And it's terrible. There's no reason to act like this. None. None, 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 none whatsoever. Just no reason to act like this. So, I, I just want you to know, you know, if you're a fan, and there's going to be events like this that's going to happen in the future, you really, really, really need to think. And w- when you see a fellow fan acting like a putz, tell he or she, stop acting like a putz. I, I mean, we've we've seen it time and time again. We've seen it in sports all the time. When a team is losing, nobody's trying to lose on purpose. When a manager or a head coach, his team is losing, do you think he wants his team to lose? You know, I'll tell you what. I remember a vicious time when the... um, The Jets were having that one in 15 year under Rich Kotite. Now, folks, there is no defending one in 15. Can't be done. Can't defend one in 15. There's no defense of it. At that time, I happened to also be working on WFAN. I, it was the sweater and the schmoozer. I was doing my midday show with uh, Steve Summers. But the venom. The viciousness. Okay. So, yeah, you know Rich Kotai was, is going to get fired, okay? You know it's going to happen. But the venom, the viciousness that was coming out was terrible. I mean, it, it becomes personal. It, it's just, it's, it's not how to act. Not not how to act. Listen, I don't know what the hell's going to happen with Mickey Calloway. But after they had lost, uh, got swept by the Marlins in Miami, you know, it all looked like the sky was falling. He was about to go. And ugliness was, oh, listen, there was ugliness last year. There was ugliness this offseason. Guys don't lose on purpose. And believe me, you, you... Folks, if you know me from TV, from radio, from this podcast, I don't take prisoners. Very easy for me to drop the hammer on somebody. But let, let's, let's not make it personal. 
That's all I'm saying. I mean, I mean, I remember Tom Coughlin. People calling for his job. Okay. I mean, stuff happens. Nobody tries to lose on purpose. Bill Buckner didn't make an error on purpose. Mitch Williams didn't, you know, pitch some lousy games on purpose. Stop. You know what? I I will say this. Uh, 1951, the shot heard around the world. Uh, Ralph Branker for the Brooklyn Dodgers, of course, served up the home run uh, that gave the uh, National League champion, uh, National League pennant to the Giants. You know, Bobby Thompson hits the home run, and and uh, old Ralphie, who I became pretty damn good, pretty darn good friends with over the years, him and his lovely wife Ann. Um, it, you know, he made a he made a living. Him and Bobby Thompson, you know, autograph sessions and, and different things. But uh, Ralph Branca, he made it easier for people because I was with Ralph. You, you know, back in the day, we always used to have almost on every Monday, there were these charity golf outings almost every Monday. And that's that's how I became friendly with Ralph Branca. And I, many, many times, many, many times, I'd see Ralphie and, you know, fans and people would come up and talk about it. And, you know, he just kind of smiled and grinned and bared it. You don't, don't you think it hurt Ralph? I, re- I remember the video. Him crying on the steps, why me, why me? Yeah. Think Ralph wanted to serve that up? Fortunately, he didn't receive the venom that these other guys did, but I I also think he didn't receive the venom because he, um, I don't know, I think he made it easier for the fans. It was also at a time where the media wasn't as hot and sophisticated as it was, well, listen, the the Buckner thing was 35 years later. You know, world had changed. All I'm saying is fans, use a little common sense. It's not hard to do. Use a little bit of common sense. Now, I mentioned Mickey Calloway. Well, I'll tell you, I did see something last weekend which warmed the cockles of my heart. Baseball, the way it ought to be. Todd Frazier at the plate. Score was 3-0 Tigers. First and third. The score was 3-0 Tigers. First and third. One out. They're playing this shift. The right-handed hitter up is um, Todd Frazier. Okay, who's obviously a power hitter, two men on. What does Frazier do? He takes a look at the shift. He takes his bat and push bunts a ball to the right side that allows the one run to score, 
and Wilson Ramos, who's maybe one step faster than my buddy Crash here, who mans the board, allows him to go all the way to third. Echeverria subsequently would hit a three-run home, and Mets won the game 4-3. But my point being is this, and you've heard me say this all the time, playing small ball or understanding fundamentals of the game, and you've heard me say this several times, if I was a baseball skipper, I would have my guys. I don't give a rat's ass if it's my biggest power hitter or my scrappiest little hitter. Everybody in the batting cage practices hitting balls the opposite way. I want X amount of balls hit the opposite way. Learn to take what they give you. I mean, I got to believe when, when, when power hitters would do that, they get 10 more, could get a bunch more hits a year. Think about what that would do to your average. And then your agent would like that when he goes in to negotiate. It, it was just great, great to see. I loved seeing it. You know, I'm not dwelling on it, but you've heard me say small ball and and the fundamentals, the little things of the game, take what they're giving you. Take it. It was just great to see. I, I I would love to see more of that. Really would. And one final thing here. The NBA Finals starting this week up in Toronto. Golden State Warriors, two-time defending champs here. Um, going up to Toronto to face the Raptors who are in it for the first time. Now, they did a marvelous, when I say they, the Golden State Warriors did a marvelous, marvelous job sweeping the Portland Trailblazers in, in the Western Final. It's a marvelous job. And they did it without Kevin Durant, who's been hurt and, and you know, not expected to be playing in game one. Anyway. So the question, a lot of people are talking, I've seen it on debates. Uh, wow. Look at the way Golden State's playing. Are they better without Kevin Durant? Are they better without Kevin Durant? On the scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being stupid, this is a 25. I mean, it's the most moronic thing I have ever, ever heard. Kevin Durant came. Now, yes, well, but they say, yeah, but they won a championship before he got there. And this is their fifth row. Yeah. Yeah, they did. But when he got there, they won two. And lo and behold, he was the MVP of both those championship finals. Now, let me explain something to you, folks. Forget that being stupid. You have to know know what you're looking at. And listen, I give full marks to Durant's teammates, the Golden State Warriors. I mean, they they what they did against Portland was tremendous. But, I, I shouldn't even say but, I just want to bring out a point. Portland, in Game 2, blew a 17-point lead. 
Portland in game three blew an 18-point lead. And Portland in game four, in Portland, they had a 15-point lead, 93-78, they lost the game. I am not belittling the Portland Trailblazers, and I am not in any way, shape, or form taking it away from the accomplishment that the Golden State Warriors did without Kevin Durant. Here's the but. The but is when you're playing, when you uh, uh, at the stakes that high, especially against a defending champ, it's like being in a ring, in a boxing ring with a champ. If you got him on the ropes, you've got to finish him off. Because the champ ain't going down easy. And the Portland Trailblazers didn't know how to finish the Golden State Warriors off. Did not know how to finish the Golden State Warriors off. The Golden State Warriors walk away from that series knowing about their experience. Stephen Curry spoke about it after winning it. Yes, you know, this we, we got a lot of experience here. And the Portland Trailblazers didn't. So that is, while I take none of, none whatsoever uh, of the credit away from the Golden State Warriors, I have to, you, you know, you have to acknowledge that the Portland Trailblazers just didn't know how to fin- finish it off. The Portland Trailblazers will be better next year because they will have gained this remarkable experience. Their hearts were broken, but the Golden State Warriors walk away knowing, yeah, everybody can look at this four-game sweep, four-game sweep my ass. This was anything but easy. And and the Portland Trailblazers are saying to themselves, yeah, we had a chance to do something here, and we didn't because we couldn't finish them off. I, I think it was Kenny Smith I was watching on the TNT post, post-game show, and, and Kenny Smith, I think, brought that up. He says, you know, having a team down is one thing and putting them away. Having a championship team down and putting them away is completely something else. My point is this. Don't give me this business that the Golden State Warriors are better without Kevin Durant. That's just stupid. Makes no sense whatsoever. And I'm not the biggest Kevin Durant fan because I'm not the biggest Golden State Warriors fan, but they're a great team. And, you know, they play like a team. But, you know... When you have somebody like Kevin Durant, one of the greatest of all time, are the Golden State Warriors better without him? You would think that they haven't had success with Kevin Durant. Just a stupid, stupid, stupid question. One of the dumbest things I have ever heard. Anyway, folks, that is a wrap on today. I want to thank all of you for getting a load of this. And now I would like very much to get a load of you. Let me know your thoughts on this podcast. You can let me know on Twitter at Russ Salzberg on Facebook. You can check out my website, 
RussSalzberg.com. My thanks to the big man, always across the way, Crash, a.k.a. Mike Caragliano. Tim Einickel, OG Podcast Network producer, Chris Rutsky, head of the OG Podcast Network, Craig Schwab, 77 WABC Program Director, his outstanding assistant, Program Director, Matt Dahl, and last but slowly not least, you guys out there, because without you guys, I'd have nobody here to be talking to. So until next time, it is I, Russ Salzberg, saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. Have a great week. Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile Coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online, at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug. But I ended up connecting to the world around me. A world where each sunset was painted. Where I felt adventures pulse with every step. And where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota. So little time.